A story they're writing today A wall that they're climbing You can carry the past on your shoulders You can start over Welcome to the broadcast of Calvary Chapel, Jacksonville Where the pastor is Pastor Ricky Rueda Grab your Bibles and read along Now here's Pastor Ricky Good morning. Welcome to Calvary Chapel. My name is Ricky. I'm the pastor here. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and flip open to Matthew. If you need a Bible, please raise your hands and we will get one to you. We always want to encourage you to have your actual paper Bible with you so that we can give the Lord our full attention without distraction and so that you guys can hold me accountable to the Word. But I also want to encourage you to go ahead and bookmark First Kings, and also the book of Jonah, to give you guys a moment to flip there. And while you guys do that, I'm going to open this up in prayer. And so, Father, we come before you this morning, Lord, thankful, God, that you would allow us to be reminded of another opportunity in which, Lord, we would be blessed to serve you by serving others. That, Lord, you would remind us, God, that we are called not to abandon a difficult situation, but Father, we would be called into it so that we would be able to find rest in you. That Lord, God, you've called us into salvation, not for no reason, but Lord, for the greatest one, that we would glorify you in all that we do. So God, we ask as we get into your word this morning that you would lend us the Spirit this morning, that you would overflow this room, that you would give us wisdom and discernment, and that, Father, you would continue to sanctify sanctify us and make us more like your Son. And all the saints agreed and said, Amen. All right. So we have been in the book of Matthew for a little while, and I know over the past couple weeks, uh, I was out of town on a missions trip, and then last week, um, my family was moving, and... The Lord provided some foresight to have Pastor Matt teach as I would not have had time to prepare, um, and I did not, but I do want to tell you guys, thank you for all of you who helped us get settled into our home. Um, It's nice to be right around the corner, Um, but now we're continuing back in the book of Matthew, specifically in chapter 12, verses 38 through 42, but for those of you who haven't been with us, as we go through the book of Matthew, it's important to remember that... Matthew is writing to the Jewish reader to remind them or to reveal to them and to us that Jesus is, in fact, the awaited Messiah. And then specifically in chapters 11 and 12, as we're in 12, Jesus' ministry begins to take a turn in that the hostility towards him and his ministry continues to mount or continues to grow. It seems that the more evident that it becomes that Jesus is the Messiah, that the more um, evident the Pharisees and the wicked rulers hate for him would continue to grow. Last week, <clears throat> we looked at, probably help if I was in the right chapter, huh? I'll tell you guys to flip there, I wasn't even there. Last week, we looked at <clears throat> a tree being known by its fruit. And we reminded you guys that... <clears throat> That is Jesus' continued response to the fact that the Pharisees 
were unbelieving that Jesus was actually performing the miracle that this demon-possessed man would be healed. And so as you look at Matthew chapter 12, verses 22 through the end of the chapter is a miracle performed by Jesus, and the rest of the chapter is Jesus' rebuttal to the Pharisees about their lack of faith. Jesus would perform this seemingly impossible miracle, at least to the works of man. He would heal this man who had been possessed with this withered hand. Hold on, withered hand, wrong one, just possessed. And um, the Pharisees would actually have the nerve to say that Jesus isn't healing on the behalf of God, but he's doing it on behalf of Satan and the enemy revealing even more that the Pharisees wanted the glory of man for themselves rather than for the Messiah. And so, last week we looked at the rebuttal again, that a tree should be known by its fruit, that the fruit that comes from its life would be indicative of its following of the Lord or its following of the enemy, and that they should be cautious of the words that we use, and we should also be cautious of the words that we use And all of this is a response to the denial or this unforgivable sin of the Holy Spirit, which for those of you who were not here last week, this unforgivable sin is the rejection of the work of Christ and the rejection of the Holy Spirit through him. Is seeing the works of God being made evident and rejecting that they are of God. And so today we continue to see more of Jesus' response to them And the outline that we have today, if you guys could go back, um, or actually forward, it looks like a couple. You have today's outline? Nope, keep going. That's the book. There we go. So verses 38 through the first half of 39, we're going to see a wicked generation seeks a sign. Verses 39 through 40, Jesus is greater than Jonah. In verses 41 through 42, the righteous surrender to Jesus and stand for Jesus. And so before we get into Matthew, there is some reading that we have to do in order to understand what Jesus is about to say to these Pharisees. And remember, again, as this is written to the Jewish people, Jesus is using history that they would have been very familiar with in order to emphasize his point. And so we're going to read two different stories. Neither of them have anything to do with one another, but Jesus uses uses them both here in this section. So if you were in 1 Kings, find 1 Kings chapter 10, as we're going to see a reference to the queen of the south in Matthew chapter 12. We're going to look at verse 1. Give you guys a second to get there. 1 Kings is before 2 Kings, in case you didn't know. It's towards the front of your Bible, immediately after 2 Samuel. If you're in 1 Kings chapter 10, verse 1, would you say amen? All right. Now, when the queen of Sheba heard of the fame of Solomon concerning the name of the Lord... She came to test him with hard questions. She came to Jerusalem with a very great, oh my gosh, retinue, I believe is how you say that, with camels bearing spices with very much gold and precious stones. 
And when she came to Solomon, she told him all that was on her mind. And Solomon answered all her questions, and there was nothing hidden from the king that he could not explain to her. And when the queen of Sheba had seen all the wisdom of Solomon, the house that he had built, the food of his table, the seating of his officials, and the attendance of his servants, their clothing, his cupbearers, and his burnt offerings that he offered at the house of the Lord, there was no more breadth in her. And she said to the king, the, the report was true that I heard in my own land of your words and of your wisdom. But I did not believe the reports until I came and my own eyes had seen it. And behold, the half was not told to me. Your wisdom and prosperity surpassed the report that I heard. Happy are your men. Happy are your servants who continually stand before you and hear your wisdom. Blessed be the Lord your God who is who has delighted in you and set you on the throne of Israel. Because the Lord loved Israel forever, he has made you king that you may execute justice and righteousness. Then she gave the king 120 talents of gold and a very great quantity of spices and precious stones. Never again came such an abundance of spices as these that the queen of Sheba gave to King Solomon. And so here we see this queen come and visit Israel and they, she sees the greatness of King Solomon or rather she sees the greatness of God through the wisdom given to Solomon. And then we're going to flip over to the book of Jonah. Jonah chapter 3 specifically. That is towards the end, eh, closer to the end of the Old Testament before Micah. The age-old dad joke, it's on page 1014. If you're in Jonah chapter 3, verse 1, would you say amen? It says, Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise and go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh, according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was, exceedingly, was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breadth. And Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey, and he called out, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth, and the greatest of them, from the greatest of them to the least of them. Verse 6 continues, The word reached the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. And he issued a proclamation and published through Nineveh, By the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered in sackcloth, and let them call out mightily to God. Let every man turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. And when God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. And now we can go ahead and flip back to the book of Matthew. 
Matthew chapter 12. And as you guys are flipping there, I just want you to know the reason why we would do this is I am a firm believer that a faithful teacher and pastor should equip you with the knowledge necessary to understand why you believe what you believe, okay? I don't believe it is a pastor's responsibility to say something to you so that you would repeat what I say without having a second thought about it. We're gonna look at, we're looking at the whole of scripture so that you would understand because you should be equipped with the word and knowledge of God so that you might defend it and be stood up in your faith. Because is it my words that save or is it the Lord's words that save? Oh, that was weak. Is it mine or is it the Lord's? All right. So with that, we're reading all of this for a reason so that you would be able to understand Matthew chapter 12, verse 38. If you're there, would you say amen? Amen. Then some of the scribes and Pharisees answered him saying, Teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. But he answered them, An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be there three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and behold, something greater than Jonah is here. The queen of the south will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon, and behold, something greater And Solomon is here. So, Jesus is continuing his response to the Pharisees because they would not believe, and I'm going to say it that way because they could absolutely believe, but in their pride, they would not relent their self perceived glory. They wouldn't teach people that this is, in fact, the awaited Messiah who we should have been telling you about. And Jesus is now comparing himself to those that they would look up to and those that they would have taught about. And so verses 38 and 39, Jesus immediately hits them with this rebuttal. It is a wicked generation that seeks a sign. Now, Consider the ridiculousness of this particular ask because at the beginning or halfway through this chapter, Jesus has just healed a demon-possessed man who they believed was impossible to heal. And please forgive me if you've been here the past couple of times I've reiterated this, but this is for those of you who are new. The reason this was impossible is that it is believed within those who practice exorcism Um, within other religions that a demon must first proclaim its name so that you could command it by name to leave. And because this demon-possessed man was mute, it was absolutely believed that nothing could be done to help this man. Now, Jesus being God didn't need to hear from the mouth of this man who was within him. Jesus would have absolutely known, and Jesus does it with absolute ease healing this man. But now they would say, teacher, we just need a sign from you. Well, I'm pretty sure Jesus already just sat you down and taught you a pretty thorough lesson about what it is that you think you know. But now you ask, you need a sign. 
This is a struggle that we struggle with just as much today. When we read, when we read through this and we see the Pharisees, we're like, oh man, these, these dumb Pharisees, how in the world could they possibly have missed the point? But this is something that we practice all the time. Now, it is a desire that every man would see God. Our motivations might be different. Some men hate him and they want to stand in front of him so that they could give him what for. As foolish as that is, there are some people who believe that that's what would happen. There are others who want to see God so that they could worship. But in either case, every man will see God, but not every man will be greeted by him. Amen. The problem, though, is that today most are unwilling to acknowledge the evidence of his existence anyways. The evidence exists, but it doesn't match up to this grandiose idea that they have in their head. There are people who want the evidence, who want God to prove himself to be real, as Thomas would ask God to prove himself to be real, demanding that God or Jesus again reveal himself in a room so that they could stick their hands in the holes in his hands, but Jesus has already done that. The unwillingness to acknowledge evidence is an unfortunate practice we apply to all different aspects of our lives. Now, I bring this up because we need to consider what it is we're truly saying and what it is that we really do. When we lack a belief in God and we demand that he prove himself, we are inevitably and unfortunately saying at the same time, I'm unwilling to acknowledge the evidence that stands before me today. Is you can ask it, but if you really open your eyes and you pay attention and you would be humble, you would see that God's existence and God's reality is everywhere. Romans tells us that his, clear, his attributes are clearly seen. It might not be clearly seen in the, the building structure of Jacksonville, because not all of our building is great. But when you get into the nature outside of Jacksonville, God's ornate design is clearly there. But we do this all the time. If you're a sports fan, raise your hand in here. If you like any kind of sports. A couple. So if you're a sports fan, you're a diehard fan of somebody, and when it comes to championship season, what you're going to do is stand by your team's side, and even if somebody else wins, you're not really going to acknowledge the fact that they're the champion that year. You're just going to say you got lucky. We hear that all the time, right? Uh, being a Yankees fan myself is there is no Phillies fan or Boston fan who would ever acknowledge that one or the other is a champion that year. They're going to come up with all the excuses why they should have been, despite the fact that they have the badge, right? Recently, when we get into a political argument, and please note this, I am not advocating for any political party at this moment, but we had individuals who would say most recently that the president that would stand is not their president. Well, biblically, we're not permitted to not recognize the authority that's been placed before us, and biblically, we're absolutely commanded to pray for those that God has established in leadership. Say what we want to say, it's still disobedience no matter what, but the evidence is there as a person holds a place whether we like it or not, and we as Christians are still called to recognize, submit, and pray for them. God's creative stamp exists in creation geographically and personally. Every single time science continues to expand its efforts in proving the lack of existence of God, they find another new layer of detail that absolutely forces them into the reality that there is 
at least a creator. But to the unsubmitted mind, what happens is that as, un, as one theory begins to unravel, another theory would begin to take shape. And can, can I encourage all of you in here is that one thing that drives me crazy as somebody who appreciates words, do you know that the word theory means that they don't know? Can we acknowledge that for just a second? Because our educators and our communicators seem to think that the word theory means proof. No, it's called theory because it wholly lacks the evidence to call it anything other than a idea. So as the evidence continues to mount, the theories continue to take shape, but at what point does mankind have to honestly admit that the reason we continue to make theories is because we're unwilling to be submitted to our great creator? As we continue to look at ourselves, as we continue to look at the intricacies within our own biology, it is just as impressive and deep and vast as space is itself. We are well beyond the complexity that evolution would even allow, yet there's another theory for it. God's thumbprint is seen everywhere we look. But then we also see the kindness of God displayed through his beloved. Church, we can't ignore the evidence of God through the answered prayers that are accomplished through the hands and feet of those that sit next to us. One of the interesting things, I know we've brought up this Billy Graham organization thing a few times, but one thing that they've learned is that more people will absolutely show up should others literally bring them. And what's interesting is that we overlook the reality of that situation is that that is an answer to prayer. For many who are lost and for many who are seeking somebody who does love them, and reality is that God loves us infinitely more than anybody else can, is that somebody who would be willing to bring them to the Father to show them the one who loves them the most is in fact an answer to prayer. As we cry out to the Lord for the things that we need and somebody else within the church body, it doesn't have to be Jacksonville, within the church body would reach out and answer that need and answer that prayer. That is not circumstance, that is not luck, that is not happenstance, that is God directing that person to answer the prayer he heard you pray. His love is clearly displayed when the church moves in the obedience to serve one another. This morning we've had Bear come up and, and speak, but consider the answered prayer of a young man or woman who's been desiring a home and the Lord would finally provide them one. We just think that that is, we think that's an act of kindness. No, that is absolutely an answered prayer for a young man or woman who is surrounded by a world who the reality is does not love them the way that they should. But through the obedient disciple is displaying the fact that God loves them even when others will not. That's an answered prayer. This lady's tea that we just spoke about this morning. 
that seems like a little thing that the ladies would just get together and dress up nice and have tea. Well, you know what? Especially in the context of outreach, that's an event that some of these women, I can confidently tell you, have not been able to partake in in years. The shame that people have when they come into the church and they come into Philippians Place and the other organizations because it has been told to them that they are a burden, that they are a cost, that they are a blemish on society. They're afraid to come into a place like this and be treated like the loved creation that they are. And the fact that some sister here, or some sister in the community would reach out and say, no, that is untrue. This is who God says you are. Come sit with me. You've been invited to the wedding. You have a cherished seat here isn't answered prayer to those who were absolutely lost. So here, when a generation asks for a sign, the generation that asks for a sign is inevitably ignoring the evidence of God's goodness everywhere. And Jesus has continued over and over and over again to not only perform miracle after miracle, but continue to point them to the word of who he is and who God is and how much that he loves them. He calls them a wicked generation because Jesus has already done and the Father has already done above and beyond what he ought to to display this great and perfect love for them. You might call this wicked generation a spoiled child who's unable to see the blessings that they have and continue to ask for more. We can be like little children at Christmas who forget about the previous gift we've been given as soon as the new one gets placed in our lap. Can I say as a parent, that's one of the most frustrating things in the world? Like, dude, you've been asking for that thing for like a year, and within 10 seconds, it's gone. Brothers and sisters, we can be the same way. We can forget God's blessings because we desire something else very quickly. And if you're unbelieving in here, don't be so foolish to think that God has not made an attempt to make his presence clearly seen in your life. The fact that you sit in here today is evidence that God is trying to intervene in the life that you're living right now. That is an answered prayer because I promise you somebody is praying for you. 39 through 40, as we continue to read on. These kids are having a blast back there. Where are we at? Okay. But he answered them, an evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah, For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Our caption here, or our title for this section, is Jesus is greater than Jonah. And I would say, as we get into Scripture, the Pharisees and many like them, many like us today, as we read through the Word, For those of us who take the time to read through the word, I'll preface that. That might be a little harsh, but for those of us that actually take the time to read it, one thing that we can tend to do is we can tend to make idols of the prophets and of the great teachers that we read about in here. 
we read about Elijah and we would say, man, I, I, I wish that I could talk to him, not to say that this is a bad thing. I wish that I could be like him. What a great man of God. We read about Jonah and we see a man who is disobedient to God, eventually be used greatly by God. His story doesn't end great, but for anyone who's read the book of Jonah and you think Jonah's story doesn't end well, I would note, Jonah wrote the book about himself. It seems like the Lord wasn't done with Jonah when the story ended. The evidence of the book is God's faithfulness. But we read through it and we see all of these men were like, man, it'd be so great to be able to speak to and honor and just be like them. Well, look at these great examples, but none of them are Christ. As we read about these great men and women throughout all of Scripture, I would say that they would probably despise the fact that we look up to them more than we look up to Christ ever. Is that their entire ministry existed so that Christ would be clearly seen in all circumstances, and anything that the Lord did through them was supposed to remind us of Jesus' goodness and grace. We see something similarly reiterated in 1 Corinthians, for those of you who are taking notes, you don't have to flip there. Paul would write this to the church about the church's following of the pastors. It says, I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree, and there will be no divisions among you, but that you be united of the same mind and of the same judgment. For it has been reported to me by Chloe's people that there is quarreling among you, my brothers." And pause here. What does this mean? Paul is writing to a church and the church is arguing about who the better pastor or teacher is and who they're inclined to follow. Actually, I'm going to read first before I make this next point. There is quarreling among you. And what I mean is that each one of you says, I follow Paul or I follow Apollos or I follow Cephas and that is Peter or I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius so that no one may be able to say that they were baptized in my name. I did baptize also the house of Stephanus. Beyond that, I do not know whether I baptized anyone else. For Christ did not send me to to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. That last sentence is the pastor's call. We would preach that Christ would be heard and that we wouldn't do anything in our strength so that the cross wouldn't be emptied of its power because it has been done perfectly and wholly in Christ and Christ alone church here as we continue to have pastors get raised up in this congregation i would caution you because there is no doubt that it's already starting to happen as other pastors have come up to teach that as we continue to grow or you go to other churches is that paul would say it is a wicked practice to say that you follow one or the other because we are called to follow christ wholly and only is i did not die for you Pastor Matt did not die for you. Pastor Paul did not die for you. Christ died for you, and we stand up here only because Christ has allowed it. And pastors recognize this sin within their church because there are lots of churches, and I've heard this taught to other pastors that, 
You know, when you go out of town, you really shouldn't tell the church that you're going out of town. Why? Because if the church finds out that the head pastor's out of town, nobody's going to show up. Well, why is that? Because they want to hear you teach, not the other guy. Well, I would say that that's a very, that's glaring evidence of sin within the church that one of our teachings would be preferred over one of the others is that as long as the word of God is proclaimed, God is going to move. His word does not come back void, amen? And so while you may not prefer a certain style, the word of God is perfect, dividing, and lacking absolutely nothing, amen? So let's make sure that we are looking to Christ and his word and his truth only and at all times. And again, I know that section is talking about divisions, but here, even Jesus is saying, this Jonah who you look up to is nothing in comparison to me. And how is Jesus greater than this prophet? It says that Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and that Jesus would be in the middle of the earth for three. Jonah was given a call to speak life to a hopeless and hateful people, and Jonah selfishly ran. Jesus, God's only son, came to speak life to a hopeless and hateful people and didn't consider it robbery, but was glad to do so. Jonah's disobedience was found out by the fishermen who would cast lots to understand their trouble as they had been engulfed in a terrible storm Jonah's sin would land him and everyone else in trouble. But as lots were mockingly cast at the feet of Jesus, it wasn't guilt that was revealed. Darkness didn't fall to get a prophet's attention. Darkness fell to get our attention as creation groaned at the greatest display of loving sacrifice this world had ever seen. Jonah was delivered miraculously by God in these three days to go and do his ministry. But Jesus didn't need a deliverer. Jesus conquered sin and death himself and accomplished this work in these three days. In every way, Jesus is greater than the prophet Jonah. And so while we might look at Jonah and wish to be used like Jonah was, let's not take our eyes off the fact that Christ is our perfect sacrifice who loved us when we had no reason to be loved verses 41 through 42 says the men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it for they repented at the preaching of Jonah and behold something greater than Jonah is here the queen of the south will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it For she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon, and behold, something greater than Solomon is here. Jesus continues to reiterate this point. But I would say he does it, revealing to them that neither of these individuals or peoples required the kind of miracle that they're requiring of Christ right now. Both this queen and these people of Nineveh were saved at the hearing of God's word and wisdom. Now we read these two sections of scripture and we see in 1 Kings this queen of the south, Queen Sheba, 
would hear of Solomon's greatness and she would travel a great way with a great many gifts just in case his testimony was true. And as she came into Solomon's kingdom, it said that she was so impressed that she had no words within her. She was awestruck. But what I love about this woman's testimony is that while she sees the greatness of Solomon's kingdom, she is able to see past it for what is really going on in God's faithfulness to provide Solomon the wisdom that he has and God's faithfulness to put a man over that kingdom that would allow it to flourish, she leaves there impressed with Solomon, but worshiping the God who put him there. She wasn't demanding that the heavens be split open. She wasn't demanding that demons be exercised out of people. She wasn't demanding that somebody walk on water. She heard words of wisdom and heard words of truth and she was saved. She gave gifts that she didn't need to give because of how good God was. Notice at the end of that section in 1 Kings that nobody ever gave them spices the way that she did. What a great gift. I don't know, well, for me, right? I love spices on my food. I've been to some of y'all's houses. You might not so much. But her worship was undeniable and she couldn't do anything else other than to acknowledge the goodness of God through the life and kingdom of his people. These Pharisees were demanding something of God, something like us that we do often, that wasn't necessary. Jesus again had provided sufficient evidence to prove his identity, to prove that he was there for them. But it was a willingly prideful heart and mind that kept them from hearing the word of God. The queen of the south was partly convinced <clears throat> of our God because of the grandeur of the thing, but she was saved by the wisdom that was there. And if that's the case, if that's impressive enough evidence, then the Pharisees should have been satisfied at the fact that the winds and the waves would be so willing to obey Jesus. If the queen could see in Solomon's kingdom that the bondservants would serve out of gladness and enjoy, that they would be so willingly obedient because of how good this king was and who he was, why shouldn't the Pharisees be willing to submit themselves when they see nature itself obey the words of Christ? Again, we're mounting this problem of these men are asking for evidence of miracles in order to be submitted to God, but the storm's mouth has been shut at the words of Christ, but it wasn't sufficient evidence. The people of Nineveh were put to their knees at the word of caution given to them by a man who knew their hate, their racism, and their persecution well. I don't know if you guys know this about the story of Jonah, but the people of Nineveh were beyond wicked. 
These were a hateful people, and they specifically hated the Jews. And Jonah was not inclined to go and speak a message of deliverance to a group of people he wanted to see destroyed because they had been so inclined to destroy his people for so long. I want you to think about somebody who has made your life the worst at any point, and to consider that Jesus might actually have you in that person's life to deliver a message of hope to them. Jonah had to go and do this at a level that many of us don't understand. And when it says that it was three days width, he went to Nineveh after being humbled by God in this big fish. He gets spit out and Jesus says, all right, now that you're done, now that we've moved past this, you're still going to go and speak to these people. He gets there. It takes three days to get across this city. And Jonah not only has to do it one time, but at the end of every single day, he gets up and proclaims aloud this warning from God so that they might be delivered from the wrath of God. I'm sure Jonah has been praying that the wrath of God would absolutely fall on this people. And now he's proclaiming one that it wouldn't. And how do we know that? After he's done proclaiming this message, he sits outside the city, parks a seat like we do on the 4th of July, and it's like, this light show is about to be epic. This is gonna be great. And he sits there and sits there and sits there, and nothing happens. Why? Because God's mercy and grace was immeasurable that day. Because they heard the words of Jonah, this prophet who they knew spoke on behalf of the one true God and God gave them a warning and they turned and repented, not at a miracle that we would call a miracle, but at the miracle that God would extend a loving hand. Consider that. That is the miracle found in the book of Jonah, at least one of them, that God would be so gracious to ex extend a loving hand to such a hateful people like us. They were put to their knees at the word of caution given to them. And if that kind of grace was sufficient, then these Pharisees should have been even more willing to bend a knee and relinquish glory to their kind and gracious God whom they had so blatantly hated with their actions. These Pharisees had turned people's eyes from God and turned them onto themselves. These Pharisees had grown to despise the word of God as they would say, look at what we do rather than what the Lord is doing. This man has just been set free from the possession and chains that have been on his life for who knows how long. And rather than glorifying God for the fact that this man who they knew had been suffering, rather than glorifying God, they would say, no, nope, the devil did that. I'm better. We spoke about these divisions in the church a little bit ago, and can I say that the reason divisions in the church can be so wicked is that, you know what? Whether you like it or not, God works in other denominations. Can we pause and acknowledge that for two seconds? Because if we don't acknowledge that, you are so much closer to being a Pharisee than you realize you are. God absolutely works in other denominations despite the men who lead them. And I hope that they would say the same thing of others themselves. 
Because let's be honest, a non-denominational church is another denomination today, right? Can we, are we good with that one? Are we track with that one? It is. But God is working and God is saving and God is doing miracles every single day. And as long as the word of God is what is being proclaimed, then God should be glorified whether it's in this church or in one of the others. He absolutely must be acknowledged because if we can't glorify God for what he's doing in the place, then that means we're unwilling to see past the sin of man to see the goodness of God. And that's where these Pharisees are. Friday night. Actually, there might be some of you here who saw me there. I was in a tent revival Friday night. Not a place that you would typically find me, but some of the other pastors in town asked that I would come out and pray with them. Y'all, that was rowdy. Sometimes when I worship in here, I forget that people's hips can move. But they can. It's great. Howard reminds me sometimes. And you know what? Doctrinally, I would say that there are absolutely some things that I wasn't necessarily a fan of, but people were still worshiping the Lord. And they would hopefully anticipate his blessings because they know that God is good. And thank God, God is good, and he was able to speak words of wisdom. And somebody did give their lives to Christ that night. It's not the way that we would do it, but who cares? God did it. Jesus is greater than Noah, or Jonah. Jesus is greater than our denominations. Jesus is greater than fill in the blank. Jesus is reiterating to them the importance of his word and the satisfaction that should be found in it. Notice this. He not only says that a wicked generation seeks a sign, but he would say that those who have truly come to know him were satisfied in what? Think about it. They were satisfied in his word. That's it. Brothers and sisters, if we didn't have the TV screens and we didn't have the lights or we didn't have any of the stuff, would you be satisfied in his word and word alone? Because if we can't be satisfied in God's word, then we would also find ourselves in a place where the people of Nineveh might stand opposed to us because that's all that was necessary to save an entire nation. Jesus didn't come with all the glam that we typically apply to a Sunday morning, but his word was sufficient to save the soul. And if you're here today looking for a miracle, don't overlook the ones that are clearly seen in the fact that you still have breath in your lungs. The fact that God heard you and led you to a place where you would hear that he loves you so much. And that he made a way that you could be saved and he made a way that you could be sanctified and he made a way so that you wouldn't have to live under the same bondage as the rest of the people you know. This was a stern warning to those of us who would not be satisfied in the word of God. We have to be. And I'll say this, this isn't speaking bad to those who are leading the tent, but this is just speaking to those of us who are here and those who are there, is where's your Bible? I'm gonna put a few of you on your spot. If you have your Bible, put it in the air now. 
we come to church so that we would worship God and we would hear from the word of God. If you have your cell phone, I would say that counts. Not a huge fan of it, but if you're working from tech, totally fine. Let me preface that for those of you that were afraid to hold your tablet up. I'm teaching from one, it's okay. You cannot be satisfied on the words of the pastor. You have to be satisfied on the word of God. And if you're coming to church without the word of God in your hand to hear whether I'm teaching it or not, what are you hoping to be satisfied by? Really consider that. If you're coming to church and you're coming to hear the word of God without the word of God, I can say whether you want to admit it or not, that's not really what you're coming to hear. You're coming to hear me. Brothers and sisters, I ain't got nothing for you. My closest friends can affirm that. I don't have nothing for you. The word of God has everything that you need though. The amount of times I have met with men and women the week after church, bear with me here, who would ask all the questions that we taught about the previous Sunday. And I remember there's a brother who I was talking to. I was like, hey, uh, before I answer any of these questions that you just laid out before me, because they're great questions. Um, did you, did you, were you at church on Sunday? He's like, yeah, yeah, I was there. I was like, do you remember anything that we talked about? Well, no, no, not really. I was like, I love talking to you and I, I love having this relationship with you, but do you, do you realize that we actually addressed every single one of the questions that you just asked me 48 hours ago? He was like, no, I don't really remember it. Okay, well, then I would say, brothers and sisters, the next question is, where's your notepad? For two reasons. One, that you would remember what the word of God says, just in case you forget your Bible. And two, to verify whether what I'm saying is true or not. We come to church to worship and to be edified, which means to be filled up. And if you're being filled up, that implies that you are going to be emptied. And how are you being emptied? By the daily toils of life and by utilizing what it is that God gave you on a Sunday morning. And so what I would say is, are you bringing the tools necessary to utilize what you are being filled up by? Brothers and sisters, if, if the people who had been listening to the Pharisees were referring to the word instead of referring to the word of their leader, who would be seen? It'd be Christ that's clearly seen. In fact, when Jesus performed that last miracle, those of them that remembered the word of God would say, wait a minute, is this, is this the son of David? And the Pharisees began to panic, like, oh no, they're starting to, they're starting to see something else. And unfortunately, I would say also, brothers and sisters, that there are men who parade as pastors who don't really want you to see Christ. They want you to see them and they want your money to fill their churches. If there was five of us here who were faithfully diving in the word and faithfully serving, can I say what a wonderful church that would be? Let's make sure that all we're doing is through the lens of God's word and word alone. Because at the end of the day, this issue of who we're focused on or this issue of divisiveness within the church 
wouldn't be possible because we would find we have much more in common because Christ is the greatest commonality. Amen? Are we satisfied with the word of God? That's a big question. I don't know if you guys are considering how big a question that is because there, again, are some of you who want God to do something he's not going to do because he's already done it right here. And he's not going to do what you want because he's already done it right here. And he's not going to do it because he's gonna continue to do it through the hands and feet of those who would be faithful to be obedient to God's word. And back to what we spoke about at the beginning, this is just a challenge for you. If you're tired of not seeing God work miracles in your life, then get up and serve. Because I promise you, when you get up and move where Jesus tells you to move, the evidence of his works are so undeniably seen. Children's ministry needs help. And there are a lot of us who are like, I'm, I'm let's be honest, there are some of us who won't sign up because we're afraid of kids. Especially when there's tons of them, right? But when you go and serve in that place and you see what God does through you serving there, the evidence of God's love and faithfulness is clearly seen. Because the problem that we saw on the screens that Bear made so evident isn't that far from us. It happens right there in those rooms. Consider those men who were in this room. The only place in children's ministry where a man is not able to serve on their own is nursery because men tend to freak out when it comes to diapers. Let's just be real about it. But a lot of times this world and this culture has taught men that they are, that is not a place that they are supposed to be. Brothers, if there was ever a place that you're supposed to be is discipling young men in the word and teaching them by your example who God is, that when they transition out of those doors into another, it wouldn't be a strange group of people they've never seen, but it, they would be excitedly ready to serve alongside the men who have been pouring into their lives already. There are single moms, and let's talk, let's, not just single moms, but moms who are dealing with their husbands in the field who are deployed, Men, you are needed in children's ministry, in youth ministry, in family ministries. Stop letting the world tell you that's not a place for you. It is an unbiblical idea. Church, as we do outreach and serve, you might be scared to death to tell somebody that Jesus loves them. Okay, well, make a sandwich for them because they're hungry too. The Lord tells us, don't go proclaim Christ and not give somebody food when they're hungry. But I would say that there's people going and proclaiming the word, but we need help filling sandwich bags. We can go down the list of all the different things, but I would say, if you're not serving, and I'm not even encouraging, it'd be great if you served here, but maybe you're just visiting and you actually go to another church. If you're not serving, go serve, because you will see God do great things through your hands and through the hands of others but it takes us being where God is moving, amen? We read through the Old Testament and we see the Israelites following the Shekinah glory, this, this cloud. Brothers and sisters, the Holy Spirit's still moving. 
Are you following it? Because you could sit in your tent and never move it, and that cloud's going to move on, and you're going to look out and say, well, where, where did God go? You knew where God was going. You just chose not to move. Are we moving where the Spirit is moving? Are we satisfied with the Word of God? Brothers and sisters, Jesus is greater. Jesus is able. And Jesus is alive and well and here. Amen? So let's stand together and pray. Because I thought that was going to be a really short message. Super wrong. Lord, we present ourselves before you this morning. God, thankful for your word that, God, as we read through this and we see this ridiculous response of men that are so eager to cling to pride, Lord, God, sometimes we're foolish to think that we're not like that, but God, your word reminds us that we are. But what's more important here in your word is that, Lord, when pride revealed its ugly nature, you didn't abandon men in that place, but you would take the time to teach and equip us to see, Lord, who you are and how good you are. And so, Father, we are thankful, Lord, for the example of Solomon and the wisdom that you blessed him with, that you would be so gracious to reveal your faithfulness to the queen of the south. We're, fa- we're thankful for hard-headed ministers like Jonah, that, Lord, would still find themselves obedient, even though begrudging, to see a city saved such as Nineveh, that, Lord, you would remind us that even though we might despise men at times, we can't let our despising of men supersede how much that you love them. Because, Lord, even though Jonah didn't desire it, he will stand worshiping next to them together in your glory, and all of it won't matter anymore. And so, Lord, I pray that you would inspire us with your word today, that we would remember that, Lord, you are greater. That, Father, you came down, didn't consider it robbery, that you performed the miracles, that you taught the perfect word, that you died and covered our sins and paid the price perfectly so that, Lord, we would be set free. God, keep the heart from us that Jonah had, but Lord, you would make us eager to express that loving grace to those that need it most. That, Lord, we pray you'd make it so we could do that even as soon as this coming weekend, Lord, as we worship together. We pray that you would put those on our hearts to invite, Lord, even to this lady's tea. We pray that, Lord, you might even stir some of us up to consider bringing in a young man or woman into our homes who desperately needs to know the love of God. So God, we pray that you would edify us, fill us, and lead us into repentance and obedience. And we ask this, and all the saints agreed and said, amen.